one. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another podcast here on the Mask and Health Solutions podcast, where I am joined by Dave Robinson, the founder and CEO of Work Your Stories, who's going to tell us a little bit more about how story work and how we view ourselves and our own personal perceptions may play into who you are as a person. I think life in general, man. So I'm really looking forward to this story. But first and foremost, Dave, how are you today, man? CJ, I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate you having me on. We got uh, some nice snowy weather down here in Richmond, Virginia for the first time all winter. So we were talking a little bit about that before we we hit record, but really looking forward to chatting with you today, man. No, man. And honestly, this is, this is one of those subjects that I've always kind of like, you know, you learn about it from different angles and different perspectives, but I never really had an expert talk about how these stories really dictate our lives, man. And not to some degree, I think fully <laughs> you know i think it's it's a lot bigger than we think and that's kind of why i'm really excited to you know dig into this a little bit more but the first thing i wanted to ask you like what made you start this journey and what sparked your interest man yeah great great uh great question so uh, i actually went to school to be a high school history teacher believe it or not and i've got a, a major in history and a minor in education and and i had a falling out with the subject matter shall we say <laughs> a couple of weeks before i graduated uh I actually just realized that the only reasons why I really wanted to be a teacher was so that I could have my summers off and to coach high school soccer. And <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be the teacher that didn't care, but I, I wanted to get into something that, you know, I always wanted to impart wisdom in some way or, or, um, you know, coach, teach, advise, you know, whatever it may be. And so, uh, after my, my, right before I graduated, actually, I, uh, had a powerlifting meet in Richmond, Virginia, which is my hometown. And I uh, powerlifting was something I fell in love with pretty early on in my college career. I'd always been an athlete, always been a, a, a into strength and conditioning and you know things of that nature. And so um, I, even though it wasn't my my major, I feel like I spent way more time on that and learning about that than I did in anything else. And uh, and it ended up leading to a job in the strength and, and conditioning department at the University of Richmond, which is a D1 you know, school here in my, in my hometown. So uh, I worked with football, worked with men's soccer, women's soccer, field hockey, lacrosse, loved it, learned a ton. But I realized that uh, I didn't love it enough to see myself doing it for the next 30 or 40 years. And I didn't love spending 15 hours a day in the gym. I just, it wasn't you know, like, I liked lifting, but I, I didn't like it as much to, you know, go in at 5 AM when it's dark and come out at 7 38 PM when it's dark and just not see the sun. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I, uh, I left strength and conditioning after about a year to find some freedom and flexibility of time and income. Uh, and I got into financial advising. So I was a fully comprehensive financial planner for about six years, uh, which now that I'm looking back, I can I can uh, connect all the dots now that I've collected all the dots, like teach, yeah. coach, advise, right? It's all in this sharing of of information and this you know desire to be in the service industry and help people. But um, I ended up just kind of, uh, again, realizing that, my head and my heart and my gut weren't fully aligned doing what I was doing. And I fast forwarded into the future again. And I saw myself living like a B minus life. Like, yeah, okay. I'd have a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. I'd be, you know, like I'd retire early and get a bunch of time off and stuff. But I didn't really think that that's like, I'm not on this planet to 
you know, sell life insurance and look at the stock market. Like I really didn't care about <laughs> any of that stuff. It was more of a means to an end. And so um, about 2017, mid 2017, I met my mentor in this, in this work. And um, I, in one 90 minute session, uh, got very clear on the fact that, Hey, this wasn't, you know, my life's calling, uh, really got over some heavy hurt, you know, internal stuff that I was hanging on to from a, a previous relationship that I had been out of for about 18 months, but I was still carrying a bunch of the negative energies and weight and, you know, baggage in the sense of just, ugh, you know, from that, that relationship and, uh, gave me the, the courage to, um, change my perspectives and change my story on a ultra marathon I had signed up for, or not really signed up for, but committed to do with a, a buddy of mine. Um, and you know, I, I kept thinking what could go wrong. And he asked me, well, dude, what have you thought about what could go right? And it was, you know, I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> spent any time thinking about what could go right. I had only been thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And so, you know, I, I realized how key the stories we tell ourselves are in that moment. And, uh, I left my financial planning, career, got back into coaching fitness and then evolved into coaching health. And then after COVID, once everything went virtual, uh, I realized that, okay, you know, I'm going to actually listen to my gut here for the first time in a really long time and work stories, you know? So ever since yeah. May of 2020, I've been full-time story work coach. And um, that is what I love to do. It drives my economic engine and I feel like I was born for it and created for it. So this is it, bro. Oh, yeah. And I love that because, I mean, one of the key things that I think you said there, I know Steve Jobs talked about that, too. It's sometimes you you can't connect the dots looking forward. It's almost like you look back and you're like, oh, snap, you know, that just kind of fell perfectly into what it is that I'm doing now. And I find that for a lot of us, we try to I think it's almost like we don't fully understand who we are, yet we're trying to do these careers that we think are good based off of what society tells us. And I'm in the same boat as you. Like when I was 18, I was like, I'm going to be an auto refinishing prep technician and then graduate to auto paint and i swear man the first like semester that i had i'm like i wasted my money man i hate this i hate this so much <laughs> you know and it's like sure you pick up some skills but you're just like i'm not really passionate about this and i really don't want to do this forever and i'm going to jump ship the first opportunity i have however there are always some skills that you can kind of salvage from everything that you do do from a more i guess mature you know perspective when you look back and you're like okay but i was able to take this i was able to apply it here and I was able to get into this because of that. And I mean, in your case, it's kind of like strength and conditioning. I imagine as a power lifter, you got to be in the right mindset before, you know, you, you don't go in there like, oh, well, I hope I don't snap the shit out of my knees. <laughs> you know, like That's like the absolute wrong way to go about it. But I, I'm pretty sure that all that time kind of almost weaves itself together into like this perfect, I don't know, fabric of what it is that you're doing. Right. So you know, it's interesting when you do look back and then you say to yourself like, wow, this was all meant to be and it all came together in a perfect way. And here I am. Right. So I love to hear people's stories because it's I don't know, it's one of those things that when you when you delve into it, the more it makes sense, even though it may seem abstract initially, but eventually it just it just it just ties in so perfectly. So that's super cool to say, first and foremost. But when did you actually say to yourself, like, okay, I'm going to make work your stories as a company? What was the thing that was like, you know, that final thing? Was it just talking to the mentor in that moment that you just said, okay, I'm going to start my business tomorrow? How did that kind of come about? So uh, a couple weeks before, oh, let's say end of January, beginning, uh, middle of January of 2020, 
I had an opportunity to move to San Diego, you know, so entirely across the country. I'm in Richmond, That's Virginia, exciting. middle of the U.S. <laughs> on the East Coast and go to the middle, you know, south of, of uh, the West Coast. Right. And and that was a big move for me because outside of college, I'd always lived in my hometown. And so uh, I traveled a lot. I didn't feel like I got stuck by any means, but I, I still, you know, like I was here in the comfortable aspect of of life right a comfortable little pocket and i had an opportunity to make a leap and and move in with some coaches who i admired and respected uh and it was actually really amazing i, I had planned on being out there for about six months and i was out there for about six weeks and it was uh we were like three blocks from the beach down down in in imperial beach um uh, uh, San Diego is like just north of Tijuana. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was living with seven people, right? So like the room I was in, we had two double bunk beds, right? I was on the top bunk when you walked into the right, you know, so it was like college again, but everybody was, was a professional coach and, um, they, it was a real like personal and professional incubator, you know, like when you walk out of the room in the morning, you know, it's instead of it being, you know, everybody's hungover and playing video games like it was in college. It's like people are like stretching, doing yoga, like we got the red light going, like everybody's, you know, eating organic food and, you know, about to go and get a run in on the beach, you know, and it's like, hey, Dave, you want to join? Like it, the perfect environment for for where I was and, and what I really love to do. And I got a, a call about six weeks into that from a previous business partner uh, to have an opportunity to, to go down to Mexico, about six hours south of Cancun. So like right above the, the Belize border and on the Yucatan Peninsula, so the, the nice. east side of, of Mexico again, and um, open a health and wellness retreat, you know? And so he was like, dude, I like, I think I found the spot. I need some help. Like, can you come and like, basically like double check this for me? Like, just make sure I'm not missing anything. Make sure, you know, like put some eyes on it. Right. So uh, I flew down there. Uh, the day before my birthday in mid-February, and we saw 72 properties in eight days. Wow. And uh, immediately, like the moment I got down there, it was, you know, uh, oh my God, yes, dude, this is it. You know, it was this tiny little village. There's dogs and chickens running around everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's right next to the sacred lagoon, next to the sacred jungle. And like, dude, it was it was incredible. And so I came back, I, I kind of closed up shop where I was. And then on March 2nd of 2020, I moved to Mexico to open this health and wellness retreat. And we put a down payment on a compound. We, uh, it was like this, this, uh, 6,000 square foot, you know, villa type thing. And it had this big covered roof and like seven or eight rooms and in this tiny little town and super rad. And, you know, I'm learning Spanish. I'm playing barefoot soccer with the Ninos. I'm like, I'm having, <laughs> having a ball. Right. And, um, I buddy bursts into the door about a week and a half in and with the news that Trump just closed the borders, we've got four days to figure out what we're going to do. Do we stay or do we go? Uh, what's going to happen? You know, I'm back in the very, 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 very beginning of COVID. It was, it was scary and uncertain. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, we could have another debate another time about, you know, how it actually ended up now that we're looking yeah. back on it, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. With some eye rolls <laughs> and everything else. Right. You know, but at the time with the information that we had, you know, I was not fluent in Spanish. I'm still not fluent. Um, I, you know, there was a lot of risk. We had just started, we were just starting to get to know people. Um, looking back, we made the right call with the information that we had and we came back. Yeah. And so I just had the very, very, 
uh, I just had very poor timing on that. And, you know, the, that was the dice that, that got rolled for me in that particular frame of my life. And so I spent the next month living in his walk-in closet, uh, here in, in Richmond, you know, cause you can't go home and do anything else. I'd given up my apartment. I, you know, I can't go and stay with yeah. my folks cause they're old. And if I sneeze, they would die, you know, like there's all this <laughs> other, you know, stuff. And so, uh, the business that he had was actually renting dorm room furniture to colleges. And so I found myself about a month or two later, still living in the walk-in closet and I'm scrubbing, uh, dirty, moldy refrigerators and cleaning out, you know, microwaves for a dollar fifty a microwave and three dollars a fridge. And I had a real like dark night of the soul moment, bro, with which was, you know, my humble pie of having this this dream crumble in front of me and have uh, you know, be in paradise and then be in, you know, a, a hundred degree warehouse with, you know, <laughs> bleach soaking through my gloves on my hands and, and stuff, you know, for hours a day. And, you know, like, Hey, do you want to learn to drive a forklift? And it's like, no, I don't want to learn to drive a freaking forklift. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is not what yeah. I want to do. Right. And so, uh, in that moment, I did one of the hardest things that there is to do. And I asked for help. And then I did the next hardest thing that there is to do, and I received the help that was offered. And yeah. my my buddy who had first worked with me in this in this industry, uh, and we had, you know stayed in touch, and he became really a, a good friend. And um, you know he was like, "Man, I got you, I got you." And I hopped onto a a basically like a class and learned how to work other people's stories while simultaneously getting my own story worked. And it became very clear two calls in, you know, when people are going through some real heavy hurt haunted stuff, right? Because the the crux of this work with story work is uh, it was originally developed with some roots in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. It's got some roots in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's got some roots in, you know, some landmine stuff, some, you know, Alan Watts stuff. Some like, there's a whole bunch of like things that have been weaved in together. And, and ultimately it was developed originally to help people with the hurt, the haunted, the traumatic from the past. Yeah. And uh, what I've learned over, you know, a thousand plus sessions and three and a half years of being full-time into this is that it has a, an incredible present day uh, application and an even cooler future application, but the heavy hurt haunted stuff in the past has to get dug up and out first because that creates this internal state of dis-ease or yeah. disease, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I had, didn't have any haunted stuff happen to me, you know, that terrible, terrible things of, you know, that happened to, to people, you know, horror movie type stuff, but I'd certainly had hurtful situations in my life. I'd certainly had traumatic situations that had gone on. You know, I would consider losing the Mexico thing, a traumatic experience, you know, it changed me in a way. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, uh, the, one of the girls on our calls, uh, you know, we worked a story of her kidnapping, like, Whoa. Right. Uh, another person was a 50 cal gunner in Iraq, right? Like, Whoa, yeah. you know, another person, you know, had lost both parents to suicides weeks apart, like, Whoa, you know? And so I saw them heal in the course of weeks. I saw their face change as they let that stress and that weight and that pain off. I saw their like joy and life come back like pretty instantly, bro. And so as soon as I started 
seeing that with other people. And then as soon as I realized like, well, I feel way better, you know, like, <laughs> oh my yeah. God, this works. Right. Then I committed to at least doing a thousand sessions. I was like, all right, I'm going to give this like a good solid go. I'm not going to try this for a couple of weeks. I'm not going to like see what happens after a year. It's like, oh, I'm going to do a thousand of these and then take it from there. Right. And so, interesting. yeah, I just hit uh, 1100 earlier this week, you know? And so I'm, I've been, took me three and a half years to hit that goal, but um, I'm going to, again, I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my life, man. This is, this is the culmination of all the other dots that have been collected to this point. So I was going to say, it's like your body of work just coming together at this right time. And that's yeah. kind of the beauty of, of what you're doing is that you gave yourself that time frame too. a lot. I think a lot of people, you know, and, and it's funny because it's, we're talking about stories and people for some reason think, Oh, I didn't get in like the first month, first year, I guess I'm a failure, <laughs> you know? And it's one of those stories that we have been told because we compare ourselves to everybody on social media or everybody that we see everywhere around the way. But a lot of the time that kind of comes down to that imagination we use to work against us instead of propelling us forward. And I mean, there's a couple of different things that you touched on there that, you know, I definitely, you know, I want to make sure that I remember, but the first thing that I wanted to talk about was, in regards to depression and anxiety, right? We'll start off with depression, I guess, because that's usually like looking at the past and still feeling those emotions and then having those emotions kind of come up. How do you start working with somebody who's suffered something traumatic like that? Because you did mention like the suicide, man, like months apart. Like that's probably a combination of like, just <laughs> like, I mean, that'd be a horror story for me, right? And I guess yeah. everybody kind of deals with it differently, but how do you go about changing somebody's perspective or, or perception of the world when they are in a depressed state? Cause it's tough, man. Like to get people out of that, man, how do you go about just, you know, what does that look like? Yeah. Great, great, uh, great question here. And, and I think it's really important to point out before we dive into that, that, um, this is not to say that people do not experience being a victim. Like that's not to say that, you know, people are not victimized. Like the girl who got kidnapped, like that was a, she was a victim in that moment, right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I think we need to separate that, that thing that, yeah, hey, bad things happen to, you know, from the actual victim mentality, right? Which we can get into yeah. as yeah. well down the road. But when it comes to actually working with those heavy hurt haunted stories, uh, there's a couple steps, right? One is... Um, people want to work with people that they know, like, and trust, and that they believe can actually help them. And so the thing that I say to everybody right out the gate is like, hey, if we go into this cave, this innermost cave, right? This dark, scary place and, you know, face this monster, like I'm going in with you and I'm coming out with you. I got your back. Right. And a lot of times that's really important because, you know, I I'm sure you've moved before, like move from a one house to another, one apartment to another, whatever yeah. it is, right? You probably loaded up the U-Haul. You had some friends help you out, right? You know, uh, you, you get to your next destination. You're already tired because you already took everything out of your house and put it in this truck, right? You know, and and so you're a little bit drained, right? You've got a, a, a big daunting task ahead of you, right? You open up the back of the U-Haul and like, you know, you grab the lamp that falls out, you know, and you're like, oh, good save, you know, but then now you're like, oh my God, like, dude, so much stuff in here, man. So much stuff <laughs> is going to take forever, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But the reality is, is that, you know, once you get some help getting those big, 
heavy, awkward things out first, like the dresser, you know, the mattress and the box spring and that big L-shaped couch. Now you've got a ton of room in there to actually see the stuff behind that. Now you, and it's not nearly as bad. It's not nearly as scary. It's like, you just need some help lifting the awkward stuff. And I think a lot of people uh, are trying to either one, dig into that, those stories alone, which like, I can't move my couch solo. I can drag it somewhere, but I'm not getting it through the door and into, you know, another room without some help, you know, and, and they're also uh, not accepting the help when it's actually there. You know, they're trying to either do it by themselves or they're like, nope, it's going to stay right there where it is not dealing with that. Right. And so getting that, setting up the set and setting to be actually get into that stuff is really key. Uh, yeah. The second piece that's very important is this differs from therapy which certainly helps a lot of people, but uh, this differs in therapy and that we get in there and we over five steps, take things from our head, stories that are in our head and still inside of us. And we downregulate pretty rhythmically and pretty, pretty slowly uh, into a parasympathetic state, right? So the stories that we tell ourselves about that thing that happened to us or the things that we experienced you know, before, we most likely have not written that down. And so it sounds like this, it's just staticky and just like unclear and just like, you know, in our heads. And it creates this, this internal state of depression or anxiety or confusion or just, you know, apathy or, or, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, right? Sympathetic nervous yeah. system response. And so the first step in dealing with any story is we title the event and we write it down. So 99.9 .9 of my uh, sessions are done via Zoom, like we're on now, and a Google Doc. So I can, you know, when I say writing it down, I mean, you know, the power of the pen is amazing. And I mean, typing it out onto the Google Doc together so that we can both see it and work with it. And that's a huge win. We could honestly stop right there and have people feel way freaking better because they took this story that they were the director, main character of, and still filming, mm -hmm. right? Still filming this scene in their heads. And they put it onto the page to create some space and some distance and some dissociation from it. And now they're able to observe the thing that they've experienced as opposed to being in the thing that they experience. So now they're sitting in the movie theater, watching it, eating popcorn and stuff. And it's an entirely different perspective as opposed to just talking about it or as opposed to just thinking about it. So that's the first step. The second step is we read it out loud. A lot of people have journaled before. Hardly anybody ever reads their work out loud. And that creates an entirely different sense of separation. But it also like, whoa, like you hearing the words that you wrote yeah. is entirely different than actually just typing them out, right? Or thinking them. The third step is we slow down the read, which means different things are going to jump out at you than they would before when you were probably reading it really, really fast because it's really, really awkward and you don't want to think about it and you don't want to do it and you just want to get this done, right? Like you're not feeling it. And so what I'm doing is I'm slowly pulling various pieces of emotion out of people, you know, and, and something that's hurtful, it's probably going to start with anger or rage, you know, that maybe that moves into sadness, maybe that moves into disappointment or shame, and maybe that moves into, um, you know, slowly into some acceptance or some you know, getting some other pieces of, of uh, emotions, little pieces of emotions in there. We then the fourth step, add rhythmic breathing into 
the read. So I have them read it again, right? So now this is the third time they've read it, they've read it out loud. And every punctuation point, we add one of these. So what happens when our exhales are longer than our inhales, and what happens is when we breathe in through our nose and we take this big diaphragmatic breath, it pulls us even further down into that parasympathetic nervous system state, that rest and relax, that feed and breed. And so we go from being in the story, having it rattle around in our heads all the time, right? To creating some distance and space, to reading it out loud and hearing it, to slowing down that read and hearing it a different way, to reading it a third time, but this time giving your brain rhythmic breaths so that it knows when the breath is coming so that it can stop worrying about the breath and start to actually store those memories properly, start to actually heal and feel those emotions, start to actually heal thyself or heal thy cells. And in fight, flight, or freeze, the brain doesn't care about that. It's just, it's happy you survived and it's trying to make sure it doesn't happen again, right? But once we're able to relate to this very stressful thing that happened probably, or this very hurtful thing that happened in a state, it entirely changes the story entirely. And then sometimes we change the words, you know, and we can't go back and actually change what happens. But that fifth step is, you know, we find words and, and areas in the story, which, you know, maybe we now see are inaccurate, or maybe now we see, you know, um, can use some alterations or maybe created some conflict internally or externally. And then we change the words and dude, it is, it's simple. It ain't rocket science, right? And we're writing stuff down and we're reading it out loud and we're slowing down and adding some breath, you know, and it is profound in its ability to help people process things that happened in their past that they are still dealing with. Dude, no, but to your point earlier, it's kind of like one of the, you know, the second hardest thing after receiving the information is applying the information. <laughs> That's where I think everybody falls short because it sounds easy in theory until you're like, yeah, I don't really want to write this down. And as far as everything that you said, it, it almost seemed like you got all bases covered because I was just thinking about everything that you're talking about. And I'm like, well, why do you do that? And I'm like, okay, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But it seems as though when we talk to ourselves, it seems like we almost always have that personal connection to it. And you're right. I feel like this almost disassociates us in a positive way from the event that did happen. And you can almost view it as a, as a spectator, right? Correct. And, and it's key. It's not suppressing, which is consciously shoving it down and not dealing with it. It's not repressing, which is unconsciously or subconsciously shoving it down and not dealing with it. It's actively creating distance or actively creating space and actively seeing it from a different angle, which that's the disassociation that, that I'm talking about here. And yeah. those are three entirely different things, you know? And so when we're actively creating that distance in space, that creates some clarity, right? Mm -hmm. And that clarity allows us to actually access that creative part of our brain. It actually allows us to access that, that again, that healing part of our brain to where, you know, uh, we come back to this, the next session, and then depending on how, how gnarly it was, like maybe the session after that, but what was a 10 out of 10 anger or 10 out of 10 sadness or 10 out of 10 rage. And, you know, the beginning of the first, you know, is now, a, a 
seven out of 10 clear or nine out of 10 piece, or, you know, like, Hey, we changed some things around and you see like, Hey, you know, it happened for a reason. And this and the other, like, yeah, joy comes on the other side of that. You know, yeah. um, I mean, it's uh, that Mexico experience for myself, you know, that was a 10 out of 10 sadness, you know, and then I, <laughs> I for real, you know, but it allowed me to meet my fiance. Yeah. It, it do this find this thing that i love you know and like my find my vocation for the rest yeah. of my life right you know so given time space clarity i'm able to write a different story about that experience you know That's and it's really interesting it's wild man no it is because i mean i just think of so many different ways that you can go about doing this stuff man but ah oh, man the other question that i had i had a question man now i forgot but i was just like no okay here's the question that i had so as you mentioned before, like you may have it in the first session, right? So you might go, you go through the whole, the whole process. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Like when you do revisit it, do you ever edit it to alter it in any which way? Or is that kind of like taken away from the story? Like, is there times where you're like, okay, cause you mentioned changing certain words around, right? So mm -hmm. I'm guessing like maybe like the first time they do it, just rage. I want to fucking kill them to like, I yeah. wanted to kill them to like, eh, you know what, you know, I just wanted him out of my life or something like do you guys go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the cool thing about the Google Doc is like, the I'm the only person and you're the only person, you being the client that are ever going to see this, you know? And so sometimes people use it as their like online journal, uh, any edits that can be made are seen in real time. So sometimes I'll like scroll down a page or two, I'll copy something, I'll scroll down a page or two so that they, they don't see it because they're still doing what they're doing. And then I'll change some things and come back up and paste it in. And, you know, that's, it's kind of like a surprise, you know, yeah. uh, Hey, we changed a couple words. Look what happens now, you know, but, um, it's it's the links between the thing that happened and you know the thing that they're able to see now because of xyz that oftentimes gets edited in and then you know a lot of times we're adding to things you know maybe there's more clarity maybe the the thing that they are working the story that they're working is not really the story that they need to be working that mm -hmm. was a you know one of the things they needed to move out of the u-haul truck so they could see oh, it's that box back there that I couldn't see before. That's the thing that really is the key catalyst to, to how I'm feeling now and what I'm doing, you know? And so let's work that story. Let's get some help clearing that box up and out, right? And that's kind of the fun part is sometimes I would say 50% of people that come to me know exactly why they're there, bro. Hey, this thing still bothered me. This thing still bothered me. I don't want them to bother me anymore. Can you help? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Great. Uh, <laughs> the other 50% of people are feeling stuck or, uh, or don't have direction, or maybe they're depressed and they don't know why. Maybe they're anxious and they don't know why, or maybe they're just in a negative state and they don't know why. And in fact, the last client I signed was none of those things. He's a very high achiever. He's a very like go-getter type guy. And he's like, dude, I don't know what I don't know. Right. I don't know whether I, you know, what my blind spots are. I don't know any of this stuff. I just know that like I've never had a coach before. You come highly recommended and I'd love to have you help me dive in, but I don't know what it's going to look like. And so great. So then I'm taking a flashlight and a scalpel versus a stick of dynamite, you know, and actually finding the stories that need to be worked. So it's, it's really, really cool, man. Cause you know, it's funny cause you had mentioned the whole sports performance side of things and you know, the power lifting, you know, I jokingly said that, but as a guy who's like, I'm big in the gym, you know, and I, I've lifted the heavy weights and that, there's times where it's daunting. And even now, like 
I want to say I don't squat as heavy as I used to because I had some like stuff just kind of snap in my quad and I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm kind of scared. So now like I'll, I'll put the weight on, but I kind of still have that story lingering in the back of my mind. And the reason why I bring that up is that when you are, whenever you deal with somebody that's in the sports world and you want them to perform at their best, and maybe sometimes you see them slipping, like how do you go about rewriting a story for things that haven't happened yet? Like, let's say it's like, bro, I'm, I'm going to that meet. I want to make sure I pull like, I don't know, 1500, like either raw or whatever. But, you know, how do you go about prepping somebody for somebody that's, you know, they got to prep for the powerlifting meet. He's never pulled that much before. He's stuck at 1453 and he wants to rip right through it. How do you go about, you know, changing that story internally? Those are very specific numbers. I, I feel like you're, you're, you hit 1453 <laughs> and you're stoked to hit 1500. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, man, me, I haven't touched the deadlift in years, but <laughs> it's yeah, kind so, of, it was around that before, but <laughs> totally, totally. All right. I, I'll give you two examples and, and we'll do the, the stuff that holds us back first. And then we'll get into the, into that second part of that question. So, um, in 2019, I blew out my back and <sighs> I was burning the candle at both ends. I know now why I did it, you know, uh, Sometimes life will it comes in feathers, bricks, and Mack trucks. It'll give you information. <laughs> the feathers are little tickles, little whispers, little, hey, you should sleep. We're like, <laughs> hey, the heavy lifting isn't helping you right now. Right? You know, like the little, yeah, little yeah. thing. Right? And you ignore it. You ignore it. Or I ignored it. Right? And then, boom, you get hit with a brick over the head. And you're like, whoa, oh, my God. And that comes in the form of like the little injuries or, you know, the the sleeping through your early session because you're just so tired or, you know, whatever it is. And then you get hit with a Mack truck. Yeah. I got hit with the Mack truck because I didn't listen to the whispers in the bricks. And so um, I, you know, had a, a uh, hour-long trail run before the gym and I then I had a meeting and I literally like was running late and so I I remember running into my car after the trail run like I didn't stretch oh I didn't stop I didn't warm you know slow, cool down I sat in the car I got to my meeting I'm still stressed and upregulated because I'm running late I have my meeting and then I meet a buddy at the gym so I'm like sitting you know I'm like not not warming up you know and I'm late to the gym so I'm just like all right yeah that's fine you know and and I uh, I had, you know, I was going to do, I think it was 70% of my max for, you know, three sets of five. Right. You know, and then yeah. I'm like, got under the bar for the first set. I was like, oh, this is kind of feeling heavy. Right. I think I'm going to drop down to, you know, 60%. So I, I sort of listened, you know, and, and then on that second set, second or third rep, I felt my, and it's the only way I can describe it is I can felt my back just go like, and oh, just like, yeah, just, I like feel that. just freaking <sighs> like break bro and it just like i went like doo -doo, and like oh. my whole spine did a wave and i just immediately like seized up put the weight back immediately seized up just couldn't even like grab my keys or my bag i left everything and i just walked out of the gym right and like my buddy came after me and he was like dude like are you okay i was like no I'm not. And I just like didn't know what to do, man. You know, like I'd broken my wrist before, I'd been broken my collarbone before, I'd have concussions, I'd had like ankle stuff, but I hadn't had anything that affected my ability to like do activities of daily living like that did. And yeah. I couldn't pick up a pen for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so uh as it was my first major injury, I didn't have any prior experience on how to come back from it and I still was like plowing through my life stuff and 
uh, I had a setback a couple months later. So I came back too hard, too soon. It wasn't as bad as the first one, but it was an entirely re-injury of the same exact thing. So I found myself maybe six months out lying on a, on a rehab mat. And then I had the realization of where my self-talk was because, you know, for a long time, for ever since then, it was like, oh, my back is effed. My back yeah. is effed. You know, I'd move, it would tweak. My back is effed. I'd get out of bed. Oh, my back is effed. I'd have to like pick my legs up to get in the shower. Oh my God, my back is effed up. You know, like, and that was the constant story I was telling myself was my back is effed up. Right. And I was laying there on the mat, like trying to convince myself to do my rehab. And I was like, oh my God, my self-talk is terrible around this. I'll try something else. Like what's the opposite of my back is effed. It's like, oh, my back is healed. And I started repeating that to myself. My back is healed. My back is healed. My back is healed. And it made me even madder, bro. Because <laughs> like I knew it was bullshit. Like yeah. I knew my back wasn't healed. My back knew it wasn't healed. Like and and I could feel myself getting even more upset trying to like convince myself of a re of a reality that wasn't true, right? And so, what I found though after a couple you know some iterations and some trial and error was that uh, if I took out the the ED and added an ING. That worked great. My back yeah. is healing. My back is healing. My back is healing. Oh, okay. Wow. That internally feels good to say. Like, let me try something else. I'm in the process of healing my back. Like, yeah. Okay. I can wrap my head around that. I'm in the process of healing my back. You're like, one day my back will be fully healed. Yeah. That feels good. You know, one day I'll return to normal physical activity again. Like, yeah, that feels great. And I just go around repeating one day I'll return to physical activity again. One day, you know, and like I built momentum that way. And I started to find the words that worked for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I told myself a different story. And then I was much more likely to, because I'm in the process of healing my back, I was much more likely to actually go do my rehab. You know, and because one day my back's going to be healed again, I was much more likely to uh, visualize that future of me back in, you know, lifting of some sort or exercise of some sort, as opposed to like visualize the future of me in a wheelchair because my back is out. <laughs> right. And so again, dude, words are powerful, powerful, yeah. powerful. Right. And so to kick it back around to, you know, what you asked, it's like, Hey, how do I future project yeah. this into, you know, how do I use this for the future? It's like, once you clear up the hurt and haunted stuff in the past, once you affect your self-talk in the, in the present and work with your identity in the present, you know, uh, I had the identity of being a strength athlete. Right. And I think if you're, you know, uh, hitting 1453 on the powerlifting world and you're heading for 1500, <laughs> which is, these are big weights, ladies and gents, you know, like you have the identity of a strength athlete already. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then the future is all about architecting the reality you want for yourself. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it goes well beyond the, you know, just getting in the gym and saying lightweight, baby, ain't nothing but a peanut, <laughs> and trying to like, you know, pull, pull heavy weights. But, you know, we do things like, uh, perfect day exercises. We do things like, um, you know, vision casting and things that go well beyond like smart goals, you know, but now you're actually putting yourself in that state of being right. And so I would use techniques like visualization to help people, uh, like, Hey, let's, we'll write out the entire meet, you know, first person conversationally, just like you were doing it, you know, like as it happens, you know, yeah. so it would sound like, you know, uh, I pull up to the gym at 6.50, you know, the meet starts at eight. 
I get in, I've got my headphones on, everything's, you know, blaring in the headphones. I'm feeling good. I had a great breakfast. I slept awesome the night before. I'm not worried about anything. I've done all the work I prepared. I get into my first warm up set. I slip my singlet on. My buddy's there with me. He's my coach. He's spotting me. The squats feel light. They feel effortless. You know, I tell the judge my opening weight and I nail my first lift, you know? And so like, and we're doing this ahead of time again. And this mm -hmm. is all like imprinting the future so that you know, your brain knows where to head, but it also knows in the present moment before it happens, like the feelings of, of success or the feeling, the desired feelings of, of, you know, what you're actually looking for. And so uh, this works really well, especially with longer term goals, right? You know, so, hey, this is your perfect day three years from now when you're hitting a 1700 total, right? You know, or whatever it may be, right? And that gives you something to work towards. So yeah. for me, um, you know, I've got a, a little third of an acre homestead out here. I'm looking out the window at, at you know, I got rabbits that I raise for for meat and I've got, you know, a bunch of berry bushes everywhere and we got a whole, whole bunch of stuff. But like my goal is the 50 acre homestead, you know, and I, my perfect day three years from now is a five page document that is a creative writing exercise, basically, where it's like from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, like what's happening on my 50 acre homestead and how am I spending my time? And I've read that so many times that like, I'm already there, bro. It's inevitable that that's going to happen. Yeah. It's just, I got to close the gap time-wise, right? But I know exactly where I'm going. And it's, that is a big difference. Yeah, man. Because it's super interesting. Like people talk about goal setting, this, that, and the other. Like I remember where people talk about, you know, like the secret and they're like, oh, just say the affirmations. Like I'm already rich. I'm a million. I'm like, but I was in the same boat as you too, where I'm like, this just doesn't feel real. Like I'm, I'm lying to myself. Right. And there's that, you know, that energetic kind of like resistance. Cause you're right. It's like BS. It's like, you know, it's not true. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I had a calf strain. Right. And I remember, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll try to tell, tell myself I'm healed too. I'm like, I'm not healed, man. I can't even walk right now. <laughs> you know? So it's just like, okay, no, I'm just going to focus on, on getting better. Right. And I stopped saying those affirmations, but it's kind of like what I love about your approach to it is more like, you're in the process of, so why not focus on the process in a positive, from a positive perspective and a perspective that you can kind of control by changing the narration inside of your mind, right? Because that's kind of where I see the magic in your story works, Dave, man, is that it's like that narration is like, I'm in charge of it, right? So I can make it go one way or I can go the other way. And obviously, if I am like somebody in a powerlifting meet or anything like that, it's like, I want to be able to control that in the way that I want. And I think it's the nuance and the details that really kind of like left me, you know, I'm like, I got these notes here. I'm probably gonna listen to this podcast a couple of times before it comes out <laughs> and start applying this because I'm like legit. I'm like, holy shit, like that makes a lot of sense. It makes perfect sense. Right. And well, I think it's something that's super necessary, man. Like, I mean, it, you know, our words are magic, right? You know, if I say abracadabra, what do you think of magic? Every time, every time. Right. Uh, Abracadabra is a 5,000 plus year old word. It's an Aramaic term, which is one of the two languages of the, you know, the Jesus spoke of the old yeah. Testament. Right? And, and it's, it means with my words, I create, or with my words, I influence right yeah. now. We all took spelling growing up and, you know, spelling in elementary school and middle school, you know, along with grammar and mm -hmm. punctuation. Right. But spelling is the formation of words. Yep. Right. So the definition of a spell Merriam-Webster's definition of a spell is a word or collection of words of great influence. 
So when we speak abracadabra with my words I create, we are casting spells, collection of words of great influence. And that's either light magic that's helping to architect the reality that we want, or that's dark magic and it's creating conflict internally or externally. And ultimately our words create our reality. Yeah. And it's the stories we are telling ourselves, aka our belief systems about who we are, who we've been, where we're going, that are going to dictate exactly where we end up. A hundred percent, man. It's funny too, because I mean, me, I've, I've always loved that esoteric kind of woo-woo stuff that people are like, that's too unbelievable. But I'm like, is it? It always ties in, <laughs> you know, kind of in a weird way to our reality now, right? They were talking about how, like, you know, when God created the, the world or the earth, he spoke it into existence. Therefore, it came from vibration, vibration that we have the power over too, right? And I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> there's power. In in that. The beginning was the word. Yeah. The first line of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Right? The, the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right. And so like that, that ultimately is, is if you look at it from that perspective where we came from and you know if you look at energy as energy it's vibration where we're going right yeah. and so we might as well take control to what degree of control we have over those things um you know because look i'm not like a, a freaking you know like I, i'm not like turning i'm not an alchemist of turning you know lead into gold or anything like that right you know but i can turn you know really shitty hurtful stories into stories that can help positively impact people moving forward and so that's yeah. that's pretty magical that's pretty cool you know but uh, i'm also not you know like uh, uh disappearing into a cloud of dust and showing up in the future and like pulling you in it's like no like you still got to do stuff mm -hmm. you still got to get your reps in you, you can't just sit here and talk stuff into existence and you know lay on your bed and eat twinkies and hope that you know the dream body happens but <laughs> you know, like knowing where you're going and how you're going to get there i think is very key and very valuable well, i think so it's it's a direction, right? And that's kind of where I think a lot of us, and that's what I do as a coach too. Like I, I'm helping people, you know, like get your life in order. It's like, okay, these are the calories, understanding. It's almost like you're under, it's almost like you got to teach them the language of things that they find to be foreign, yet they're presented as something that's day to day. Therefore, you know, you shouldn't even worry about it until you start to actually look at it from a more detailed perspective. And you're like, wait a minute, this here is controlling me right now. It's keeping me overweight, underweight, or, or, or you know, away from my goals, whatever they may be which is why I think it's so, so important that, you know, we actually change the stories that we have. However, you know, I've never been presented with a process as clear and concise and very simple, right? And, and to me, simplicity is key because people complicate things. That's when I know I'm like, okay, you, you don't got it yet. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you're still working. I'm like, work out those kinks and make it so that you can teach it to somebody as young as like my eight-year-old and you can understand it. Then I'm like, okay, this guy's a genius. You know, he's got it right. But before you take off, because I mean, honestly, the time just flew by today. I want you to just tell us like a story that you, you, um, of one of your clients, obviously anonymously, but something that just sticks out to you and you're like, you know what, that story really, I don't know, resonated with me and I want to share. Hmm. And so many, so many things. Um, it's funny. You said eight, my youngest client ever was eight. My oldest client was 82, 82 wow. years old. Right. And, and everybody in between, you know, people always ask like, what's your niche? You know, it's like, I had people who need their stories worked, you yeah, know, I like, I had everybody, <laughs> right? you know, like I think from July to, to December, you know, or, or November, I had, you know, all pretty much all male clients and, you know, typically they were in their late twenties to early to mid thirties, you know, and then the past seven clients I've signed on and worked with since probably November have all been female. So it's like, I, I don't know, man, you know, like, <laughs> and everything in between. Um, 
the one that sticks out to me the most in that moment, or I guess I'll tell you the one that immediately just popped into my head was, um, so in the very beginning of my career, I did a ton of work in the addiction recovery space. Mm -hmm. So I linked up with a recovery home here in town and I did a couple free sessions with them from a like group perspective. And so we'd, we'd go in and these were folks, you know, uh, both men and women that were coming out of jail, coming off a of bond, you know, a lot of them didn't want to be there. They were court mandated to be there. Some of them were, you know, uh, did make the call to be there, you know, on their own. Right. But, um, there was a lot of resistance to actually working these particular stories and to even be in the process of, uh, starting recovery. Right. So it yeah. was a, a, a tough crowd as they say, you know, and, uh, uh, getting, it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me because I was able to, really experiment and um you know i didn't have anything to lose right at all yeah. when it came to stuff and so i i learned uh, a, i learned very quickly and i developed my own style very quickly and i started working with one guy who you know was telling me like the craziest of stories man like he was on you know a three-day meth binge and you know, and there was like this, you know, everybody was always screwing him over in his life and, you know, all this, you know, uh, because of this, this happened and nobody gives me a chance and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. And, and this was like the entirety of the first session. We barely got anything written out, you know, but like to his credit, he showed up for the second session. Right. And it's like, okay. Right. Like that's a win. And, you know, he was like, you know, man, some of the stuff you were telling me, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like everything is, is, Every, you know, nothing's my fault. Everybody's against me and world's out to get me like that type of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're coming back around to this. And I, I wrote down victim mentality and I said, Joe, you ever heard of the victim mentality? He says, I don't know. You know, no. And I wrote out the definition and the definition of the victim mentality is an acquired personality trait whereby a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on habitual thought processes and attributions. And he sat there and he stared at that page for a calendar minute, man, dead silent, <laughs> just eyes wide open. And I'll never forget this. He goes, man, I think I've got the victim mentality. <laughs> and it was like something just clicked for him in that moment. Yeah. And he was like, holy crap, man. Like I view everything as against me. And like, even it's been that way for a long time, even if there's no evidence, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, somebody's in the line in front of me and it takes too long, you know, and it's not their fault. And it's not, you know, but Hey, there, even people at Kroger are against me, you know? And it's like, like he had just viewed his entire life up to that point as being a victim, even in the absence of clear evidence. Right. And, you know, I told him, man, that's a habitual thing, right? You have a habit, you can start a habit, you can break a habit. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what if we looked at things a little bit differently? And the reason why I brought Joe up here is Joe sent me an email a couple months ago and said, Hey man, I just want to let you know, I've just hit 18 months sober. Uh, I still think about the definition of the victim mentality. Uh, I'm back with my, my wife and kids. Wow. Sharon says hi, right. You know, I've been at work. Everything's been great. I'm never going to touch that stuff again. 
uh, I took control of, you know, my stories and it changed my life, man. So thank you. And that was just like such a cool thing. You know, I wish everybody had that experience, you know, and a lot of people didn't, you know, a lot of people, uh, uh, it didn't seem to land as hard as it did for, for him at that particular, you know, state and time. But really what he needed was somebody to hit him straight and to, uh, you know, go into the cave with him, you know, yeah. and, and I think that that was a really cool thing. And that was the first thing that popped up into my head. Um, the other one that just popped in, up into my head that I'll share briefly was a, a girl that the only person I know who's my birthday twin. <laughs> no and, way. Yeah. A couple, couple years apart, we went to high school together. So she, I think she was a freshman when I was a sophomore or junior, we had the same class and became, became friends and stayed friends for, you know, 25 years now. And, you know, and, um, she, reached out on social media right before Christmas and she had had some tough stuff happen. You know, she lost her brother, she lost her dad, you know, that had some, some, a lot of unworthiness. Right. And I did a really cool exercise with her around identity and it's, uh, you know, who have I been? Write it all out. Who am I now? Write it all out. Who am I becoming? Write it all out. And the, there's a little twist and turn at the end of this exercise where I put a line in between the, who have I been and who am I now? And then I take out all the becomings. And so it's just, who have I been with a very clear line separating who I've been and who am I now? And the who am I now has zero becomings in it anymore. You know, and so her becoming section was, you know, I'm becoming a woman who's worthy of love. I'm becoming, you know, someone who's strong. I'm becoming someone who I could be proud of. And like, this girl's great. I've known her forever. You know, and like, it was very clear to me, she was already someone who was worthy of love. It's very clear to me she's already someone who's very strong. It's very clear to me, you know, all these things. And I mean, it was just full tears and full send of emotion when she read it without the becoming. And she has been in an entirely different mental state and and space for the past, you know, five, six weeks. She I get a text from her every other day, like, dude, this is incredible. I love this. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, which yeah. is super cool, man. You know, so all the positive affirmations and, and the positive feedback is, is really neat to, to do and to be a part of. And, you know, it just shows the different range of things that story work can positively affect. Yeah, dude. I mean, God, man, I gotta have you on again too. We gotta talk more. Cause uh, yeah, no, it's just like, <laughs> Every single time you, you mention one of these stories, it's just, ah, again, like I got more questions now, you know, just in regards to like, you know, little things that we could change or whatever. But no, honestly, this has been an eye opener for me because you're right. It's it's like, yo, that 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 right there just kind of like, no, I take out the becoming and it's just I am boom. I'm like, holy cow. You know, there is no third <laughs> section. So that person almost feels that liberty to express themselves fully because they're like, well, technically I'm not. And then it's like, no, you are. It's like, whew. <laughs> it hits. Hit him. Yeah, he hit them like with a Mack truck, right? So yeah. that definitely changes perspective. I mean, and I think that's one of the biggest things that you're you're letting people see that perspective shift, you know, but you're it's almost like you're allowing them to see it from their own eyes, which is crazy because we don't usually do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, statements push and questions pull you know, when it comes to, to coaching and, you know, uh, being able to have them see it themselves and say it themselves, as opposed to me, try to like reiterate it. It's like, no, like she said it, she read, I am strong and I am worthy of love. I didn't have to tell it to her. You yeah. know, I just deleted a word. That's all I did, That's you know? Crazy. And so it landed super hard for her. No, hundred percent, man. But Dave, where can we find you and what are the websites and everything related to uh, work your stories as well? 
Yeah, thank you, man. Um, I'm online at workyourstories.com. You can go check out more uh, about me there and my journey there, and you can book a session with me there. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm at daverobinson.coach, daverobinson.coach on Instagram. And CJ, if it's cool with you, I would love to offer you a free session as a thank you for having me on the show today. Uh, and then I think what could be really cool is you and I do a session together. And then depending on what we get into or what you want to share or, or whatnot, it'd be neat if we do that second show down the road to uh, have you just share your perspective on, you know, hey, what happened? What went down? How'd you feel before? How'd you feel afterwards? You know, and then we can get into some other stuff. So hundred percent, man. I'm down. I kind of got chills because I'm like, oh shit, I got to face my demons. <laughs> <laughs> you, anyway, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, you know? Yeah, so. no, hundred percent, man. hundred percent. But no, I, I'm down, man. I'm down because it's cool. one of those things where it's like legit. It's kind of, hey, you know, I can't bring it out into the world and not, you know, go and do it myself. So no, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm down, man. I'm down. Awesome, man. We'll, we'll, we'll talk afterwards on setting up details and whatnot, but again, workyourstories.com and at daverobinson.coach on the gram. Nice. And all the links are always going to be in the description. So be sure to check it out until the next episode.